anyway, it is a privilege uh, to be here, um, to be a part of Sovereign Grace Paramount. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a great text unpacked today. Uh, Psalm 19. So I'm going to read it and then we're going to pray and then we're going to get stuck in. Um, yeah, I've found this to be such a helpful uh, text to study and I hope it is uh, helpful for you. So, all right, Psalm 19, uh, starting from verse 1, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Beautiful psalm from King David. Why don't we pray uh, and then we'll get stuck in. Uh, Heavenly Father, it is good. It is a privilege. It is a joy to worship you this morning, to gather as a church community, to sit under your word, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray this morning as we study this text, Lord, would it speak to us, Lord? Would it it speak to us at a soul level, Lord? Would it change our hearts, Lord? Would we grow? Would we uh, grow in our love for you this morning, Lord? Uh, Would we grow in our knowledge of you this morning, Lord? And so, Lord, I just pray that you would give me wisdom and clarity of thought, clarity of speech, Lord. Go before me as I share this word with this church. We give this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, uh, I've been thinking about this uh, this week as I've uh, been studying the text. And I think it's true that we live in a culture that feeds us the lie constantly that we're going to need this holiday or this house or this income or this lifestyle in order to be fulfilled. It gets marketed to us every day. You know, you go to the letterbox and you pull out the leaflets. It's just page after page of things that we need in order to be fulfilled. It can be a real struggle for us as Christians. How often do we pursue things that on the surface offer some degree of satisfaction and fulfillment, only then to leave us empty and disappointed? 
a story, an example of what I've experienced uh, in my own life uh, around this is uh, about 18 months ago, uh, we had the, um, the opportunity to sell our townhouse that we had. Um, and uh, we actually then lived at my parents' place, um, saved a little bit more, more money and were able to buy a house. Uh, and what a, what a wonderful opportunity that was. We are so grateful for that home. And we, uh, we moved into that home and, you know, it, it, it was just such a gift. We were so thankful for it. But it's amazing, you know, 18 months on and, you know, when you're sitting in isolation in that home, you start to kind of notice things and you start to kind of feel a little bit like, ah, if only we had a second living space. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could have a bedroom for each of our children? Oh, if we could just put a deck on here, then the house would just be what it's, you know, what it could be. It's so amazing how we start and we, we kind of, we find joy and satisfaction in something, but before long, we start to lose that sense of it and we need more. And I think that we, uh, we do that with loads of different things. We do it with relationships. You know, oh, that relationship that I so deeply desire. And then you're in it and you're like, oh, this isn't as I'd imagine. This is tricky and complex. There's beauty to it, but it's, it can be difficult. Yeah. We do it with a job like, oh, that job. I read that job advertisement and it is my dream job. And we get that dream job and we realize work is hard. Yeah. It's complex. It's difficult. I think we can do it with our children. You know, oh, if we could just have children, then we would just have a sense of family, a sense of fulfillment. And then again, we find that a complex challenge, a real delight, but also uh, there is difficulty that comes with that. We do it with holidays and shopping and possessions. We pursue these things uh, with a hope that they will give us a fulfillment, a satisfaction, and yet it doesn't last. And it's important that we recognize that many of these things, if not all of these things, are gifts from God. They're good things. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't feel a sense of guilt in that. But I think when we are prone to idolize these things, we can often feel be left feeling disappointed, unfulfilled, feeling like it's not enough. We just need that renovation in order to make this truly what it could be. And uh I believe that in the midst of this thought or this lived experience for all of us, I believe that this text offers us a hope, much hope. And I think it's captured, you know, primarily, but certainly as we un unpack this text, it's captured in verse 7 of this text. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And so if there's a big idea or a takeaway message from today, a takeaway point from today's message is I believe it's captured in that verse seven. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. To help us sort of understand this and to dig a little bit deeper, we're going to be asking, uh, answering three questions today. The first question, what is the word of God? The second question, why do we need the word of God? And the third question how do we receive the word of God? So I guess as we answer this first question, what is the word of God? It's probably worth asking, like what comes to mind when we say the word of God? 
Perhaps if you're unchurched, you might actually be thinking it's the audible voice of God sort of bellowing forth. We can hear him speak to us. Maybe if you've been in church a while, perhaps maybe you kind of think of it as maybe maybe, um, God in the flesh, Jesus, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Perhaps maybe you're thinking of this text, the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God recorded in scripture for us to meditate on and study. These are true. These are all true. And there's others as well. The decrees of God, God's word of personal address, God's word spoken through human lips and God's word in written form. These are all elements of the word of God. But in Psalm 19, what we've just read, King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, he has a way with words and you would have seen it in that text as we read it. He paints a picture of the word of God as revealed in creation and the word of God as revealed in scripture. So I'll say that again. He paints a picture of the word of God revealed in creation and then the word of God as revealed in scripture. And C.J. Mahaney and uh, Riley's already sort of alluded to it. He helpfully sort of differentiates these two and refers to them as the silent word of creation and the spoken word of scripture. The silent word of creation and the spoken word of scripture. Of scripture. And so as we try to understand this question, what is the word of God? At least within the context of Psalm 19, the word of God is both silent and shown through creation and spoken through the words recorded in the Bible. So what do we learn from the silent word, the revelation of God through creation? Well, straight out of the gates, the psalmist portrays God's glory revealed in the silent word of creation. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. As we look to the sky above, as we take in the magnificence of the natural world around us, God's glory and majesty and power and creativity and generosity and imagination, they are on clear display for us, which is amazing. What a gift to us his creation, that we look to the skies, we look to the heavens, and we see our creator God. This is something that uh, certainly resonates with me, and I'm not sure if it it might resonate with you, but uh, I have certainly grown in my, uh, my wonder and awe at God's creation. I think the older I've got, the more I've come to appreciate its beauty and its majesty. Uh, Over that period of isolation during COVID, I found that, you know, there wasn't a lot for us to do, but one thing thing that we could do is we could go down into the bush. And so we spent like every day or every second day in the bush, just immersing ourselves in the beauty of God's creation. And uh, like Shell would admit to this, like I'm a bit of a tree guy. Like I kind of like, I just get, I don't know what it is. It's just like, oh, wow, look at that tree. Like that's my favorite tree. You know, it's it's the texture of the bark. Like I personally like the gum trees. Um, but I just like, you know, the way in which the branches, um, I don't know, there's, there's an art to it. There's a creativity to it. And it does stir me to praise and wonder at the creator God. You know, we were up at uh, Bluey's Beach over the long weekend. And um, again, just a, a beautiful opportunity to immerse myself in God's creation. Um, you know, sitting out in the, the crystal clear blue water, watching the waves roll in the cliff face to the side of me the sun shining, you can see some fish in the water. It just prompts me to want to praise God 
to give thanks and pray. I don't know if that's your experience, but that's certainly that that's certainly the experience that I have. And that's just that's just the like the tangible physical physical creation. We're not even talking about the complexity of humans. We are God's creation. You go and study the human body, you look at the complexities of the eye or you know the way in which our our systems work and function. This is the hand of a magnificent creator. Again, we are, poor, we are we're stirred to pour out our praise and our, our wonder at this God. The psalmist understands this truth that the God's handiwork provides for us an awareness and knowledge of the incredible God that we can worship. Verse 2, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Each day and night reveal a tangible knowledge of our creator, his wisdom and power and glory. And as we study creation, we, get it, we gain a deep sense of who God is, a generous God, mm. a loving God. Mm. We get this from studying and looking at what he has created. Verse 3, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Since creation beginning, the voice of day and night, God's silent voice shown in creation has been heard. We aren't, we, we're, we're without excuse. When we look out at God's creation, we are without excuse because we have heard the voice of God. Mm. And we see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Yeah. Verse 20, we read uh, from Romans 1, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. God's glory, his eternal power and divine nature have been revealed and communicated to us in creation so that we are without excuse. The stars and the sun lay witness to the creator God and to his glory. Because if the stars and the sun and the surf and the trees are glorious, how much more glorious is the creator God who made them? Amazing. And so a question for us to consider this morning as we engage with this text is how often do we actually pause to notice that? How often in the hurry of life do we stop and reflect on the glory of God displayed in creation? I know for me that often the worries of life, my mind gets caught up in the worries of life and it robs me from from taking in this beauty. The, you know, the, the unending stream of emails, the texts and notifications, the to-do list, these can often distract me and rob me from the joy of praising and worshipping and delighting in the creator God. God's silent word, his creation, proclaims his glory each and every day. And so when we next find ourselves captivated by nature, the beauty of a view, the magnificence of a mountaintop, the energy of a crashing wave, let us respond like that of David, the psalmist. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. And yet, despite this wonderful gift, It doesn't take much to then look around and see that this world in all its beauty is inherently broken. It's not perfect. 
despite the beauty and the majesty that we can see, it is a broken world. Mm. And we see that just in the news over the last couple of weeks. It's gutting it. It's it's hurting. It, It hurts to see this, the way in which God's creation is responding in different ways. So no matter how much we study and try and understand the the word, we will never know the depths of the brokenness of this world by just purely looking out at a vista or studying the complexity of the human body. Because without the spoken word, we cannot truly know the God that we worship. For For God's silent word revealed in creation is good. But God's saving word, his spoken word revealed in scripture, in this text, it's greater. Creation is good, but scripture is greater. We cannot know the depths of our brokenness, nor the depths of God's grace, his mercy, his justice, his love, his wrath, his holiness, his compassion, from simply looking on it all at his creation. Despite the gift that it is, we cannot know those truths. For it is in the spoken word, the scriptures, that we see these truths display. It's kind of like this iPhone. You can look on it right now and see the ascetic design. You can probably get a sense of what it's probably used for. But we cannot know its full function, the full capacity of what it is and how it can be used unless we unlock it and we study it. And we engage with it. We enter into it. We enjoy it. King David understands this truth as he pens the description of the spoken word of God found in Scripture in verses 7 through 9. And I want you to read it with me. It's powerful language. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The spoken word of God makes the simple wise. It brings joy to our hearts. It enlightens our eyes. It endures forever. It is true and righteous altogether. It revives the soul. It is a light to our path. What a special gift that is. Such a rich and such a rich depiction of the word of God in scripture painted here. And what I find really interesting is the shift from the use of the word God in this description of creation to the use of the word Lord seven times in his description of the spoken word of scripture. There is a personal connotation to the language of the use of Lord in these verses. For in scripture, we encounter the personal God, the relational God, Father, Son, and Spirit. As we study the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we encounter God incarnate. Just sit on that for a moment. Just soak that up. The heavens declare God's glory, and we are in awe of that. But we experience the personal, the personal God through his scriptures. 
Not, not God shown through the beauty of a view, but God in the flesh came as a man, not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for us. The word of God in creation is good, but the word of God revealed in scripture is greater. And yet, if I'm honest with you, and perhaps maybe for yourself, too often I tend to treat the word of God a bit like long life milk. You know, I keep it on the shelf for a rainy day, perhaps maybe saving it for another stint in isolation, often having the attitude, it's there if I need it. That's definitely been my journey as a Christian. I want us to just skim back over those verses again, verses 7 through 9, but from the bottom up. Let's just see some language used. The word of God is true. It's clean. It's pure. It's right. It's sure. It's perfect. The spoken word of God recorded in scripture is perfect. And it reveals to us that our souls need reviving. And that brings us to question two. Why do we need the word of God? The word soul is thrown around a lot these days, tends to get tied up in the well-being movement, often, um, yeah, just thrown in there, not really, you know, defined. Within the biblical context, the soul is defined as that immaterial part of who we are, our heart, the depths of our heart, the integration of our intentions, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions. And it's in Scripture, as we study Scripture, we learn that our souls are broken. They're in need of reviving The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The word of God is perfect, inerrant, true, unchanging, sufficient for salvation, for it revives the soul through the glorious and life-giving truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. We cannot stand with a clear conscience in awe of God's glory in creation because Scripture teaches us in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We can't stand in awe of his glory because we fall short of it. Our knowledge of sin, our brokenness before God, our knowledge of God's mercy and grace revealed in the sending of his son to the cross is found in the spoken word of God. What a privilege and gift it is to have that. The silent word is insufficient for salvation, but the spoken word is sufficient for salvation in the sense that it is the only once and for all inspired and therefore inerrant words of God that we need in order to know the way of salvation. Like milk for a newborn infant, we need the word of God because it reveals to us that our souls need reviving, not just today, not tomorrow, but for eternity. Psalm 119 reminds us of that. The word of God is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It's like a torch in the dark. If we don't have one, we get lost. Or if it breaks, we get lost. The word of the God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And let's be honest, it it doesn't take much in our cultural context to kind of lose our way. For that, for that light to, to grow dim. It's kind of like on a, uh, on a hot, scorching day. You know that, you know, we had the hottest summer over, over the Christmas period. On a hot, scorching day, 
when we get in the water, it revives us. It refreshes us. Mm. But it doesn't take long once you leave the pool or leave the, the ocean that you start to feel the effects of the heat again. The word of God revives the soul like a dip in the pool on a hot summer's day. When we're experiencing the heat, we've got to get back in the water. We've got to soak up this reviving, uh, this reviving element. And so a question for us to consider, I think, is do we actually trust that the word of God is perfect and that it will revive our souls? I think, you know, at an intellectual level we can, but functionally it doesn't always look that way, does it? Perhaps after a stressful day's work, I wonder if you trust that the word of God revives your soul. Perhaps maybe you turn to online shopping or computer games, pornography. Perhaps maybe when sufferings come your way in life, I wonder if you trust that the word of God will revive your soul. Or do you turn to fantasies of what your life could be like or should have been like? exhausted and fatigued from a long day of caring for your children, I wonder if you trust that the word of God mm. will revive your soul. Perhaps you just sort of flick yourself through social media or just, you know, binge out on YouTube. When worry and fear and anxiety capture your every thought, do you trust that the word of God will revive your soul? Mm. Perhaps you turn to comfort food or alcohol to try and lift your spirits. For many of us, this is the the daily challenge, isn't it? When we repeatedly seek to tend to our souls with the things that ultimately do not satisfy, it's any wonder that at times our souls can feel weary, downtrodden, our eyes are not enlightened, our hearts lack joy. But again, I said at the start, I believe this text offers us hope. Mm. There is hope. So rich, so helpful, so reviving is the word of God that in verse 10, the psalmist describes it as more to be desired than any gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. When we taste the word of God, it is good. Food for the soul, nourishing and rich, a light to our path because in it, and this is the point, we encounter the person and finished work, the saving grace of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Mm. And the psalmist describes this as encountering the great reward, which I think brings us to the final question that we're trying to tackle today. How do we actually receive the word of God? We receive the word of God in humble repentance and dependence. I said at the start that we live in a culture that feeds us the lie that this holiday or this product or this lifestyle will ultimately fulfill us. We get sold that that lie on a daily basis. How often do we pursue things that on the surface will give us satisfaction only to leave us feeling a little bit empty or dissatisfied, disappointed? This text stands as a reminder and encouragement to us a hope-filled encouragement that the word of God reveals the one who gave it, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that it is in him alone that we will be truly satisfied. In him alone. 
Verse 12 through 14, the psalmist responds in recognition of his need of a saviour. 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The psalmist recognizes his dependence on God and he responds in repentance. I can't discern my errors. I need your help, Lord, my sins, so that my sins don't control me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You, Lord, are my rock and my redeemer. I think it can be easy to say Jesus is our rock and redeemer, and yet functionally we live as though perhaps our job is our rock or our paycheck is our rock, our family is our rock, our uni degree is our rock. But to receive the word of God is to recognize that we need it for our, we, we depend on it because we encounter our risen saviour through it. The word of God is to receive like medicine to our souls, like pawpaw cream <laughs> to cracked lips, you know, a balm, you smear, to soothe the lips. It's so soothing. We all know that experience. The word of God is like a balm for our wayward souls. And so how do we receive it? We receive it like the psalmist in humble repentance and dependence on it. Now, as we study this text, as we engage with this beauty, this truth, it can sometimes be a little bit condemning, particularly if you're someone that has struggled to engage with the word of God. And so, as I said, I want this to be a message of hope an encouragement, something to stir and provoke us to engage with it. We want to enjoy and delight in this text. And so I want to share a few things that has helped me in my pursuit of this. This is not something that I've, um, you know, always, um, like I found this difficult. I found it difficult to immerse myself in the word regularly. And so I want to share a few things that have helped me. These are not exhaustive. It's not like this is a to-do list but I just want to share some things that I've found that has really stoked my soul and encouraged me to encounter the word of God. The first thing that I, that I personally found so helpful was to study the gospels or a gospel, sorry, and to study it slow to take in the significance and the truth of the person of Jesus <clears throat> to watch him and notice him and to see how he interacts with people, the way in which he responds his ministry, his care, his love. As you study it slowly, you really get a sense of the person that he is. And as I said, through the scriptures, we encounter the person of, of Christ. That has really served me. And I hope that perhaps maybe if that's something for you, mm-hmm. it would serve you. You might want to consider seeking uh, discipleship from someone else in this. As you look around your church community, Who is it? And I mean, I've seen this. My wife particularly is someone that just studies the Bible so well. And I see it oozing out in her life and in her speech. And so I've gone and asked, hey, can you teach me? Can you help me in this? Who in your community do you notice? Just they they use the word in day and out. Who, Who soaks up the scriptures? 
What is it that they do? Go and spend some time with them. Seek their wisdom on this. That has certainly helped me in my pursuit to grow in my love and dependence on the word. Perhaps you're not much of a reader. I'm not much of a reader, to be honest. Um, one of the things that uh, Brendan, our pastor from um, Southern Grace Virunga, encouraged me to do is to start by perhaps maybe watching a, a Bible project overview video of a text before then going in and, and, and studying the text or reading it slowly, just to kind of visually capture what it is that you're engaging with. There's so many resources out there that can be so helpful as we seek to engage with this truth. This reading plan is another thing that I found particularly helpful is just having that kind of regular accountability that has been so helpful for me. Um, it's just kept me doing it, to be honest, ticking through it. Sometimes it can be a little bit, you know, um, like I have to, but what I've found is it's given me some accountability there. Making a habit, a discipline, a daily discipline of reading, that has been something that has been really helpful for me as I've sought to grow in my dependence on this word. If I don't build it into my schedule, it doesn't happen. And I think for a long, for many years, that was essentially what happened. It wasn't part of my day-to-day routine, and so it just got overlooked. You get to the end of the day and you miss it. Seek the accountability of others. Share with your group that there is some, this is something you want to grow in. You want to delight it. You want to experience the joy and the, and the blessing that it is. But most of all, and if there's one takeaway, I think, from this, is like enjoy it. Mm. This, is, this is what the text is saying. Like sweet honeycomb, like a balm to our souls. Let us enjoy the word of God. It's perfect. It revives our soul. To close, um, verse 11 of Psalm 16 is such a helpful passage, I think, in painting the picture of this hope. We read in uh, verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The word of God makes known to us the path of life. As we engage with it, we experience the majesty of the creator God, the person of Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in them, there is fullness of joy. Not half joy, not satisfied for a bit and then wanting more later but fullness of joy, long-lasting, eternal joy. What a gift it is that God would reveal himself through the silent word of creation and then personally engage with us through the spoken word of the scriptures. And so can we delight in that truth today? Can we enjoy that truth this week? Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. Why don't we pray and give thanks to him for this gift? Heavenly Father, you have displayed your glory and your majesty in your creation. And we love you for it. We worship you for it. And yet you gave us your word in order to help us see our need for a Savior, Lord. Our brokenness before you and yet the grace that you have shown us in sending your Son, God incarnate. Lord, we thank you that we get to experience him in and through your word lord 
That is a gift to us that we want to celebrate today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help each of us this week and forevermore to delight, to enjoy the the soul-reviving nature of your word, Lord. What a gift it is to us, we praise you for it. Amen.